0: This is Rugga MATRIX America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Golf Rugby Report, and joined as always by Pat Clifton from Rugby Today and Bruce McLean, head coach of Iona College, and uh, knowledgeable of all things, pretty much everything to do with how to be a coach in this country, um, which is a a thankless task. Rugby Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions, and if you want to uh, check out our Aircraft Charter Solutions Player of the Week, you can, most weeks, check it out on Golf Rugby Report, except for some weeks when we don't do it. Uh, Guys, um, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and we're uh, moving into holidays. How are you feeling?
1: It's good. I was able to, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I always go weather, but Anytime I'm able to like barbecue a week before Christmas, I'm pretty happy, and I was able to pull that off, so uh, life is good. I haven't been drowned out by Christmas music yet, which is always a goal of mine, to, nice. s- to not start vomiting because of the Christmas music.
2: Yeah, yeah a goal of not vomiting. Yay, Christmas. <laughs> I should dress up as Santa Claus and make people's lives better, and stop witching about Christmas.
1: All right. Thanks, Bill O'Reilly. <laughs>
0: Uh, we have, uh, actually, I think we have a lot to talk about, um, and we're going to get right into it. And, and I want to go way back now about three weeks, three and a half weeks back to the men's national team, November tour to kick us off because we didn't really talk about it. We didn't talk about it at all, except for leading into it. Um, we talked about the big trade that uh, the, the overseas pros got to play one game against the All-Blacks. They lost 74-6. to 6. Um, We knew that was going to be a, uh, a big margin of victory for New Zealand, no matter what. Uh, and, and some of those guys uh, were done, and uh, at least one player, well, two players were pretty much injured and out for the rest of the November anyway after that game. Danny Barrett and Brendan, Brett Thompson. Um and then they went on to play uh, Romania, who they beat; Togo, who they lost to, and Fiji, who they lost to in a close game. So, first of all, guys, was the trade-off worth it?
1: In the short interim, you know, when when I wrote a column about it, you know, I kind of said what would make it worth it. Still, the long-term effect of the World Cup and that sort of stuff is is hard to gauge. And the long-term effect of how you know what did. We actually gained from the broadcast and from 60-some-odd thousand people being in Chicago. The long-term effects of those are still quite uh, ungageable or unmeasurable. But the, the short-term, uh, no, it wasn't worth it. I mean, to give up those best players and uh, give yourself not the best shot of climbing up the rankings, though they did climb up the rankings, they could have theoretically gone a little bit higher, grabbed some more wins, uh, all doing all that just to lose by 68 um, to me, is not worth it in the short term. Like I said, those long-term stuff you can't touch yet, but uh, they there was really an opportunity on offer on that November tour to win three games, and with those uh, players who largely did absolutely nothing the rest of November uh, on the team, uh, I think they may have actually been able to do something.
2: Yeah, I don't – I think it's what it was, and – I don't necessarily think that the all blacks in Chicago was particular. I I don't know how much money they made from it. If any, uh, I don't know who made it or what the story was. I think there was an opportunity to bring the people together and and have a, and have a good tour, but they did what they did. And they probably found out a couple of things about who they can't rely on. And, (laughs) Yeah. I I mean that's I guess that's valuable to know. It, it it's very difficult to see whether this was worth it or not. It was completely disjointed. There were different people in and out and at the end they barely even had any players left. So I would I think I think would they, I think they had it.
0: 23. I think that's it. They they had everybody who were, who could play was on the was on the lineup against Fiji.
2: It's it's very difficult to prepare in that sense, and so yeah, I don't. I, don't I, I just I think the the state of rugby in America, in in terms of the, in order to win, you have to have your noses pointed in the same direction. Everybody has to have the same goals. Everything has to be in alignment, and and that's for great nations. That that's for for strong rugby playing nations like New Zealand or. South Africa, or England, or Ireland, and f- so that—that's for them to win. For us to win, you can't make mistakes like that. You—you you, you absolutely need to have your noses pointed in the same direction, and I, and I don't think that's the case here. So it becomes even—it's—it's it's a greater challenge than ever. And I have no idea what the rationale behind everything was, but. they did it it's done there's a couple opportunities this year to do some things and that's it I yeah I don't know that that was a I don't know that it was a great trade off unless they there was so much money and they're gonna you know as they were saying on the the TV show that you know we gotta pump money into the grassroots money into the grassroots well you know we've heard that act for we've heard that act for 20 years and, and it hasn't gotten done and we've heard a lot of things you know there's been a lot of problems that have been around for a long time that they haven't been addressed at all.
0: You know, I I, I think this is, you, you can speculate one way or the other, and I I think I fall on the side of um, it was less not worth it than you guys think. Uh, but you know, you're spec you have to speculate as to how they would have done um, on the field first of all if they didn't have those overseas pros to play against New Zealand would that have been a you know 125 to 3 game or something like that um, i think there's a real possibility that it would have been even a, a massive massive blowout th- triple digits that it would wouldn't have, been, have been right that 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 would have been a problem I, I i think that would have been a bigger problem for uh for the game in this country i <laughs> i know that it i know that what what
2: they wouldn't
0: have had the game. Well, okay, all right. So that, that's the, the other thing is the, that the idea the that they wouldn't they wouldn't have had it. They wouldn't have had the game at all. Um, and and well, you know, what, what, the, what, I guess I guess the, the question, question is is it is it worth it? I mean, the, there are supposedly other nations that want to do the same sort of thing. Is is the, all of that worth? having that kind of trade-off once. Now, I'm not saying every year that, you know, first weekend in November you get your overseas and then you you ditch them for the rest of November. I don't think we want to do that if Ireland comes or whatever. But to do it once, to show that, you know, USA can host a really big test match, and it was huge, and, and that part of it was fun, I think there's a possibility that was worth it. I think there's
1: a possibility too. For me, what has to make it worth it is they have to get a rugby world cup, um, or they have to get a pro league out of it, and and they're not out of it, but that has to be a huge piece of them getting one of those things. If if that helped investors get a pro league here sooner than later, then it's worth it. If that helped get the rugby world cup, the sevens world cup here in twenty whatever, then it it was worth it. So. But to me, that's the only way it was worth it. Because if you look at it in a vacuum, you lost by a basketball score and you gave up two games to lose by a basketball score. I don't know that somebody watching would think all that much different between a 99-6 or 74-6. to Looked pretty bad either way.
2: Well, the, the chances of having a pro league are slim and none and slims on a respirator. Um... Because you can't make any money at it. Fair enough. And what was the what was the other reason? Getting a World Cup, the Sevens World Cup. The, or the Sevens World Cup. Um, how long does the Sevens World Cup take? Three days.
0: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I
2: mean, there's a, there's a there's a possibility of having that. Um, we we don't put typically a, a ton of fans in. Re- because they can, they sell out Twickenham for the sevens. That's eighty five thousand. It's very difficult for us to to replicate that here.
1: I couldn't think I, do any worse than Russia did. What? Well, I, I said we couldn't do any worse than
2: Russia did last time around. Yeah, no, I, that I, 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 you know, uh,
0: the the sevens World Cup is more of a growth thing, uh, you know, sort of like a development thing that it is, and that it is, uh, you know. World um, sell, you know, selling out eighty thousand. They, I don't think they feel world rugby feels like they're, they're going to do that. I think there's a good shot. USA USA rugby has a good shot of hosting that. But
2: the, you know, the the. And I'm not the, positive about. I was only. I was told that, actually today, but I I actually couldn't believe that that was true. But I, I was told by a pretty good source. So the, what that they sell out Twickenham for
0: the uh, they they, they, they haven 't uh at the beginning, but they are if, if they haven't if they don't now they 're pretty close i mean they were talking like seventy thousand stuff like that yeah that for, would- for Twickenham. Sellout. for for Twickenham, which is close close to a sellout the 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 um international tournaments you know uh glasgow's not real strong uh nobody goes to uh the japan one um you know, the numbers may be good in Dubai, but if you looked, if you watched Dubai and, and saw how many empty seats, it they, they show up for just a small portion of it. They, you know, it's real tough. In fact, you know, Vegas compares pretty well in terms of uh, how many fans they get and how long those fans stay um, uh, on, uh, on that. So you know, I, th- I think the USA fan base... Uh, Performs relatively well and certainly the last year or so the U.S. fan base has really shown some interest in international rugby. I think the the thing that comes out of the trade goes back to what you said, Bruce. It's, it's the lemons of the trade that were handed to Mike Tolkien. He turned around, he tried to make lemonade out of it. He said, all right, I don't have these guys, so I'm going to play guys that I have available but let's just find out if they can play. And I think that he found out certain things that he might not have found out had he had all those players along. He found out that Tim Stanfill actually can play wing on an international level. He found out that John Quill is is ready to do the job at seven. Uh, He found out that we still need some work at second row. Uh, he found out that Mate Mocchiola, despite the fact he's playing in, what, third division French league, uh, can still play? Uh, th- right off the top of my head, those were all good things to find out. He found out that Roddy McLean is not a bad player at all. Um,
1: how, did, show me, uh, how many did we get to take the World Cup? What, 30?
0: Yeah. 30, 30, 30. Does that 30
1: change based on anything that happened this fall whatsoever? And yeah, it's
0: so- uh, yeah I, I I would I players? would say I, I would say number okay number 1 Mokioloa's back in the mix on that cuz he was he was probably out and I think John Quill is now uh, strongly in the mix for that that team and I think it's quite evident um, if it wasn't before that we got major problems at fly half um, I think also Threaten Palamo did himself a world of good against Fiji that's possibility. Maybe maybe Taku Nguenya as well. So, you know, I, I I would say that there were probably three or four players that maybe not might not have even gotten a look who might now be in a completely different position. I'm not saying that's worth not having Samu Manoa for a whole month. I'm just saying that's what's happened,
2: right? No, that's true. It's true. And, and it, it certainly nobody came through in Samu's position. Um, so yeah, that, that's that definitely, you know, I think that I'm not positive about this, but I think Nguyen and, uh, Mate definitely got an, got an opportunity he probably wouldn't have gotten. And, and, um, Nguyen got an opportunity he probably wouldn't have gotten and, and Mate threatened Mamo
1: They were trying to bring back for a while. Tolkien was but, trying to bring him back and he just had bad timing with his injuries. So it wasn't we like Conte was out of the mix.
0: Well, uh, yeah, but but there's no, I understand that, but there's a, there was a strong suspicion by pretty much anybody that he wouldn't be in shape to play. He wouldn't be in shape to play eighty minutes. Talking uh, privately, you know, seemed to seemed to indicate those kinds of concerns. And if you have Fry and Wallace and Khalifi, uh right there in front of you, how much how much uh, space are you going to take? Uh, are you then going to hand a starting position to Mokiola just to find out if he can play? I don't know. I don't know if Tolkien would do that.
2: I don't think he would have been on the tour, but that's the... Who knows? Um, but anyway, yeah, there was a couple of things that we found out, and we'll see how it, how it plays out, because they're going to have a domestic camp, they're going to have a tour, and then they're gonna have a uh, then they're gonna have a long lead into the World Cup, starting in I guess July or late June, and then it's gonna be all hands on deck. So we'll see how they all hold up and how it all plays out. Well, so, now no,
0: okay. Uh, on the other, the positive side, now uh, positive slash negative. They should have beaten Fiji. I think. I think Shalom Suniula doesn't pass the ball they beat Fiji.
2: Well, I I know, I I know. I get it. There was still 15 minutes left in the game, and it's not like Fiji doesn't have explosive power.
0: That's true. So,
2: I mean, you're not talking about, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have beaten them. I'm not, I'm I'm not saying that that shouldn't have been a try, or that they shouldn't have scored. I'm just saying that there was still 15 minutes left.
0: Okay, okay, fair enough. But, this, here's our, are 23 players that we have left, right? We had injuries, stuff like that. They were going to have a um, – it was Andrew Suniula was on the bench, and then he got hurt he couldn't play, and they put Lou Stanfield in as the other the other back, I guess. But the point being that those guys, those not our first choice 15, almost beat Fiji and probably should have beaten Fiji. That's that's a little thing that I could you know you could hang a hat on and say you know maybe if we've got now a group of of thirty odd players who actually think that they should be beating those kinds of teams maybe we're in a bit of better shape going into a World Cup year perhaps a little bit better than four years ago when we were basically saying we don't know who he's playing I mean apart from the number ten issue it it, it seems to me that perhaps that's that's a little a little silver lining out of that.
2: Well, not our first choice. Fifteen was those are the guys who did well against um, the Maori All Blacks last year. Not completely different. Anybody who thinks that the Maori are a B side of New Zealand is is doesn't understand how it works. Um, the so it's that, or not not our first choice. Fifteen has actually played pretty hard and done well in in, in specific games. And sometimes our quote unquote first choice fifteen hasn't played all that well.
0: Yeah, true. True. Um so
2: our first well, choice fifteen almost chunked uh came a, a bee's dick from chunking a qualifying tournament against Uruguay. Well that's true.
0: Now that that that's the problem. The 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 problem we run into uh You know, most of the time when we talk and we talk to pretty much every coach we ever run into says the same thing. We don't have enough time with the same group of players. Um, Talking to uh, Tolkien a little bit after the, uh, the tour, it seems like he has a better handle on who he wants for the World Cup. So, are we going to see a more steady assembly of players? I, I, well, well, actually, I don't think we will until July, but once we get them together in July, they might actually have some time to, to uh, put something together.
2: You've got to see. There's a McGinty comes, Adj McGinty from Life and formerly of AC comes, uh, comes available in February. Um, Al McFarland, the AC8 comes available now, and I don't know if they'll go this route. But Charlie Valerera from Metropolis is available now as a front rower. I don't know that they'll they'll go for Charlie, but Charlie had an eight year career at Sale, and is a legitimate option in the front row at a hooker so whether or not they'll do that i don't know but well, he might be an,
1: i could you could almost see him as a brian McClinahan or is it brian or brendan brian yeah that shows you how young i am uh brian McClinahan, who was kind of not on the radar whatsoever and got pulled in because he needed a third hooker now zach Finoglio might have something to say about that but uh, the they've third, got, um, I, I
0: th- yeah, third. I think they've, I think they've got three, of, uh, three or four, you know, Barre, Barre, just, sorry, just change. I just call them
2: CBW, Charlie. w so, yeah,
0: <laughs> just CBW. just c b w CBW. Um, in you know, they may have four options to to have a look at that. But you're right, uh, Pat. They're they're probably going to take three hookers, and and they do have some some uh, people to look at there. But the the fly half thing. I think is completely up in the air, Siddle gets his second concussion in a year that I mean the the guy is such a great goal kicker, just really very nice, but um you know there's a health problem there uh Toby Lestrange still in the mix, but he's not a goal kicker at all, so that completely changes what you look at and um you know he when before he got hurt he actually he was not in good form, he wasn't looking strong, and then McGinty. Well, you know, we've been, we've been talking about him so long, but we haven't seen him at that level yet, have we? So we, we kind of need to see him at that level, and I think we'll probably see him in, in the spring on, on a trip to South America to see if he can do something. Well, if only
1: we'd have brought, you know, uh, Ronan O'Gara over for the sevens team, put him in four sevens tournaments, could have switched his allegiance and been ready for the World Cup.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, Except you can't do that but you can't do that, but yeah. M- McGinty is good. McGinty, okay. is, McGinty well, is, well, this. McGinty is better than Siddle. It's not even close. Um, it's not, they, we're not even talking about the same person. That's like, that's like comparing Dan Carter and Stephen Donald. Not, not that either one of them are in, are in that level, but that's what it's like. It's, it's that much different. McGinty's amazing.
1: McGinty's a guy. I think we've all kind of known him. I
0: that. I think so. I just I I just don't feel the comfortable is, just, just doing that automatically and expecting him to show up in his first uh, international and just
2: uh you know blow everybody out of the water. He certainly look, he, he's not he's he's obviously he's not the second coming of Christ because he's not wearing a green jersey. So the but <laughs> the fact is he's an he's an excellent footballer. He He's a a very good goal kicker. He's he's probably not as lights out as Siddle at goal kicking, but he's a very good goal kicker. The, The thing is, for whatever, however it is, the guy knows how to get you out of a jam, and he knows how to make things happen. And the other thing is, he's an unbelievable scrum half. He is a money, outstanding rock star at scrum half. He's out he's outrageous. And so well, well,
0: so well, it allowed to of that. play
2: a pretty aggressive game. So like when I coached the AC with with McGuinty, he played outside center, and that was more for the dynamic of the team reason. Our fly half played scrum half for the Warataz and it never played fly half. And our other scrum and our scrum half was Petri. So we would and, and Lestrange played center, where, where I think he's actually a better player. And we would use Toby and he would penetrate, and then those three would just interchange at scrum half and fly half. Whoever was the closest guy to the ball played scrum half. And then the other guys would just play fly half and they'd be flinging the ball over the damn field. A lot of times we just played so much at practice and there was they had they started to get a real feel for each other that they were just able to, to pump the ball all over the field. And they made these relatively average. um, They they were great players, but they they certainly didn't have any kind of world-class speed or anything on the rest of the team. They made these guys, they were putting them in the holes and making them look like superstars. So I'm, I'm just, I would say and you both know that when we went out to Puget Sound, I mean, they were supposed to coronate Puget Sound champion. And that was a coronation ceremony that we went to. And, and things just didn't work out the way they wanted it. And Lestrange got hurt. So I'm the, those three guys, I'm telling you, McGinty, his ability off the base of a ruck to be able to get past that second defender and sometimes the third one is uncanny. He has a, he, he's a big guy. He's got a big first step. So he could take one one and a half steps, gets him past that. If you call it pillar A B, he gets it past that A defender, and he can really stress defenses.
0: You think Mike Tolkien and Nate Osborne would um, go for that kind of approach? And you know, knowing I, I, that I, Tol- I, Tolkien, Tolkien, as you said, Tolkien did that with you at the AC, the 2008 team. Well, he, that, he, was, he, Tol- that was that was.
2: A- didn't really do that. He wasn't really around much. Well, well, in two, um,
0: two thousand eight, you did
2: that with oh, two thousand eight was different with Mayo. Sorry, that was with um with Mayo and, uh, and Petri. Mayo, I thought you were talking about coaching and Um no. Mayo and Petri, it was that was a little bit different in that um, Mayo Stevie Evans, the, the guy from the guy from uh, from Australia. Tended to run a bit more than, um, tended to run a bit more than Mayo. Steve would just crash it up. He, you know, he was okay. a complete madman. But he, he was the guy after Mayo left Australia, he he actually replaced Mayo. So on 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 his team there, and then uh, and then that that and it was funny when Steve came. It, he he got in. He flew into New York in December, which is why and it was December tenth, which is why Noel McFarland is is legal because they both came together. And I got a call from Ewan and Mackenzie like five days later saying if Steve hadn't left, he would have signed them at Queensland. <laughs> so, Evans was like, "Jesus Christ, I'm in freaking America. It's freezing cold. <laughs> I can be in Brisbane playing for the Reds instead of sitting here and." In in fifteen degree weather, playing for the AC, but anyway, that was uh. But that that all said, he the, I think that McGinty gives them options to play a wide open game, and I think the way that Metropolis plays is very similar to, to that French pattern where it's like uh, seven and eight on one side, two and six on the other, one, three, four, five in the middle. Play with double fly halves. Um, Open the field up and and really stretch things. I that and 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 try to ask questions of the defense. McGinty can let you do that <laughs> because if they do actually move the ball wide and get it in into someone's hands, and then then McGinty can go play halfback. Petrie can fill in a ten, really just kind of feeding some big boys down the middle. Then Petry gets it. McGinty's on one side, Wiles on the other side. And you start you could play a wild game and it, it could be pretty cool if the contact area is the way it should be. In order to play that way, you need a number seven who is really active and you need uh a props and and second rowers who can who are very effective in their uh in their running and clear out roles. And I think that Wallace provides that and You know that it really just a matter of whether their personnel fits it relative to the teams that they're playing. It, you know, you're kind of playing into Japan's hands when you're doing that. Scotland kind of plays like that anyway because Vern Cotter, although he's a Kiwi, came from France. Um, South Africa tends to do that. South Africa tends to use that in a in a kicking strategy a bit more, and that allows you to, to. break back into that kind of a pattern and, and then the other uh, team they got to play is Samoa. Well, I'm not overly familiar with the way Samoa uses their patterns, but um, that it, I don't know that that style necessarily matches up. It, it's the, maybe it's not something that you put in for that group just because you're playing into the hands. You're kind of playing into the hands of Japan. Who uses a rugby league kind of attacking approach, and they've been doing it for a while, so they're pretty good at it. And then you're you're playing into the hands of Scotland. You, if you can not out athlete them, then you you kind of can get yourself into a track meet against South Africa. There's really no hope of winning anyway. And then and then uh, then the other one is Samoa. So and I and if you're the thing that Samoa does, that what I am familiar with, what I am sure of their pattern, is that Samoa makes one-man tackles, whereas a lot of teams make two-man tackles. Samoa tends to make a lot of one-man tackles and cut off all your options. And that can put people off. Because if they try to play a, a one-on-one offloading game, and they're cutting off those options. Some of those passes go loose, and then you're looking at tries going the other way, and you start chasing a, a few sevens. So, do I think they're going to make? Do I think they're going to play like that? No, The answer would be based on that. No. That was a long winded
0: okay. no. Uh, no. Okay,
2: uh, but
0: the so the the crucial thing, and and we can wrap up the Eagles a little bit. Uh, it, my feeling is that the crucial thing about the, the Eagles going forward is not so much whether uh, Samu Manoa and Chris Wilds and Blaine Scully were on the field very much in November. The crucial thing is that we're probably going to see a new fly half in 2015, and he better get as much time as possible in whatever pattern they do, in whatever attack scheme they use, to be ready in July – to play the, the Pacific Nations Cup games, then warm-ups in August, and, and get going for the World Cup. That's more important than anything, isn't it? Yes. yes. A- yeah, apart, I think from, apart from the scrum. Well, <laughs> we, could, we could do a whole show on the scrum, but yeah. Isn't that the, the most important thing?
2: The most important thing for the USA is to have something that they do well that they can hang their hat on and right now, they don't have anything that they can particularly hang their hat on. Their defense is starting to take shape, but they leak in way too many points off of scrum penalties, penalty tries, and driving malls. So <clears throat> that's you can't hang your hat on defense if you're if you're leaking in points on on, on silly things that are close closed chain skills. So that's what they need to find and 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 the thing that they really probably based on personnel can hang their hat on is they'll they'll have big they'll have tall timber on the field and they should be able to hang their hat on an attacking line out a defensive line out and then what then they could further hang it onto a tactical kicking game not a tactical kicking game a kicking game off of penalties That can get them down the field so when you get a a penalty kick and you get an opportunity to kick the touch the the like really frustrating things for me are you got to make 40 45 yards if if you're kicking one from 30 to the corner you got to put it out at the five not the 10 the five and and those things make a huge difference in your ability to score points and they give you a lot of confidence you both would say there's nothing better than getting out of, you know, you have a tough scrum or something and your fly half just, I mean, sends a rocket down the field over everyone's head, bounces in the touch. And that's like, holy crap, we just gained 65 yards in three seconds. That's what we need some of that. And I think that would be some some really helpful stuff that you can – but we need something we can hang our hat on. And I think – the line-out would be the thing that probably can be fixed the quickest.
0: Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And we've been talking about the 15s team. Now we're going to just change a little bit, talk about the 7s team, because the U.S. 7s team has finished the first chapter in the Mike Friday era, which would be uh, three tournaments that – they played in the now we call it not the i r b series but the world rugby series um and uh you know they've they've done fairly well up and down, but they finished it on a high note, winning the plate uh in South Africa in port elizabeth and uh guys you both you've both seen the games you've seen the good ones, you've seen the bad ones. It seemed to me that the USA took a little bit of a step forward, beating Fiji. Fiji is a very good team. And beating Wales extremely well. Wales is a solid team. But they're still obviously nowhere close to the upper echelon, South Africa and New Zealand. Um, Pat, what are some of the good things you saw? What are some of the bad things you saw? Uh, You know,
1: one of the good things... You know, I think just the, the process, it seems. I mean, think the, the way that they improved from Dubai through South Africa would be the good thing. Um, you know, there was an obvious flaw in the way that they played, and that was not moving the ball and really not trusting Carlin Isles from my vantage point. And, you know, speaking to Mike Friday, I know that that was a big coaching point. If you watch the game, you can hear Pat Blair very vociferously urging them to move the freaking ball to the outside channels and trust the wings and, and do it quicker. Um, and, you know, that's kind of been a problem for for Zach Tess and fly you and not just this year, but long-term and well, they fix it and they ultimately have some great success. And, and for me, that was kind of a, a big, uh, a, a great thing to see. Uh, the defense I've got to say is the best defense I've ever seen the Eagles play in sevens on the weekend as a whole. Obviously they, didn't have things go their way in the second halves against South Africa and New Zealand. But in the first halves of those games, it, they surrendered just one try in each and played really great team defense. Um, so if there's one thing i got to say that I'm really, really impressed by, it's by the team defense and the promise they showed in just improving um, and and moving the ball a little bit better um, in South Africa than what they did in, in Dubai.
0: Bruce, what did you see?
2: I I would have to say that the results are mixed and the thing that the thing that concerns me or doesn't concern me and probably kick it back to Pat here is his article was pretty interesting. I don't know if you remember that article that he wrote about when, about the funding and the Olympic year and, and all that yeah. stuff. Those yeah. coming in fifth because they, they came in fifth in the last tournament. There's, does coming in fifth save their ass, or does it not save their ass? That's the thing that um, that that's the thing that I would be wondering. Anyway, that's so I would probably kick that back to Pat because the results are really based on what is the USOC going to say, and are some of these players going to be left in camp? Are they going to be paid for? Who's going to pay for these little things? That part. I don't know. I mean, yes, the the results at the end in South Africa were very good, but as a as a conglomerate of results, is it enough for them to feel safe in qualification? Because qualification is going to be a crapshoot, um, no matter what. E- even if even if things were going great, qualification is a crapshoot. So that's that's going to be the. That's going to be the biggest thing, is that it doesn't come down to qualification because qualification happens too late in the budgeting process.
0: So, 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 so they're gonna, so they're gonna look at it, and if they're on a downward spiral, they're going to adjust things before qualification.
1: Here's what I've gathered, right? And look, this is not talking mainly to John Crawley, who's the high performance um for team sports at, at the OTC and overlooks eight team sports including men's and women's rugby. And from from talking to Alex Magleby, some of what I know is hard and fast and some of what I know is still them trying, you know, it's still me kind of filling, you know, reading between the lines. They they make a budget on every year, right? So they always do a program assessment. But the two-year mark out, which is what we're going into from the games, is when they really start to take money and funnel it towards the teams that A, can medal, and B, can get a gold medal. And the women's team, by finishing third in the World Series and by having more, you know, better historical results, um, are, are pretty safe in terms of their funding for the next year. The men's team isn't necessarily safe because there's no indication that they've ever given that they're going to be able to medal let alone qualify so there are some hardline indicators what they are nobody would share with me um, but I will say this that I thought that John Crawley um, was really optimistic and I spoke to him after the Australia uh, tournament and he was he seemed to be very pleased with the results in Australia the Gold Coast and uh, clearly Dubai was a step back but i if I had to guess was South Africa a big enough step forward? I think the answer is yes. I think Alex Magal has done a very good, for the lack of a better term, sales job with people at the United States Olympic uh, Committee and in the in the Olympic Training Center to get them to look at some of the other key performance indicators like fitness and, and looking at how close they are to actually being much better record and much higher ranked than they have been, you know, than they actually are, um, so yeah, I, I think I'm not gonna say that they're safe, um, but I, I think that they're they're uh, they're above where I would have expected them to be and in better shape. And I, I do think that they will still have funding. Now that said, if they lose, when we're talking about funding, essentially they pay half the stipend. The USA, the USSC pays half the stipend for these players, and essentially they get they give them free meal cards and give them free access to the OTC. So the plan would be, and Alex has been working on these contingency plans, is uh, to do a residency program but somewhere other than the OTC. They could stay at the OTC, but they would have to pay for these things they've been getting for free. Now, keep in mind, nobody lives at the OTC. They live off-site. So USA Rugby has been the one that's having to foot the bill for all of their off-site uh, residents, and that would still remain the case. So you'd have to – really, all if you lose your OTC funding, you're losing half of the stipends for the players – and you're losing your access to the facilities of the OTC, and that is something I think that they can fill the gap of, and that may be something where <laughs> that all blacks money comes into play. Um, so it's not the end of the world if they lose that funding, and that's coming from Crawley and from Magobi, and I believe that. And I use the example in that article of the the water polo team um, from the Beijing Games um, because they were travel they were practicing basically at a high school, and, and all those guys were living on other people's guest rooms and in couches and not at the OTC, and they managed to go and win a medal. So, um, But it, it's also another yearly cycle, right? So if they go and win, if they go and qualify, um, then for 2016, they could be in line to get a little bit of bump um, and, to, and support as well. But and Magleby has been, and I'll, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you guys get back to it, but Magleby's been a big proponent of saying they can't rely – solely on USOC funding, that, that there's no golden egg that's ever going to come in, no matter how good they are, that USOC is going to come in and alleviate all the problems and pay for all, you know, give them the money they need to really uh, soar. They've got to figure it out on their own and they might have to figure out a little bit faster than they wanted to or figure out a little bit more than they wanted to um, if the funding gets pulled. So I hope that makes some sense and I didn't ramble too much. Uh, the,
0: uh, the, the women's team, uh, third at the World Cup third at the previous World Cup not third in the series kind of makes a difference yeah, and, and, and it's kind of it's kind of weird because they've actually been performing quite poorly in the series but um, because they they fronted up and had a really good World cup um deservedly finishing third that's great um,
1: they also they also kind of went on a venture that the USOC really supports um, and the OTC really supports they They love crossover athletes, right? They do it all the time. Uh, Alana Myers-Taylor is is a good example who never did bobsled. She was a college softball player. They get her because she's a stud athlete into bobsledding, and she goes and wins medals as a bobsledder. This is a tactic. The crossover tactic is one that the USOC and the OTC use across all different sports, and they were really, really supportive of Rick Suggett's decision in the last year to say, uh, okay, let's go get better athletes and make them rugby players and that commitment. So – they weren't ready to ride off last season and the seventh place finish that they had, but they were definitely willing to forgive it because they they liked the direction. They had
0: they had athletes who were learning to play, which is um, definitely the case. Yes. Um, the, and, and okay, so that that sort of speaks a little bit or, or turns a little bit to, um, the 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 men's team, and some of the athletes that we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of a change, very slow, but a change in personnel. And um, Friday, you know, for all the talk we did about fitness, Friday looks for bigger guys. He looks for rangy runners. Um, Maka Inoufe, uh, I think is a completely different player now. I think he's, um, he's a huge part of that team now. I think that Garrett Bender is still asked to do something. Danny Barrett is um was night and day between uh Dubai and Port Elizabeth. Um but ha- has an option you know, starting to create some kind of um personality toward this team. And one of the guys is pushed out and you know, Pat, that I've always been a big fan, uh Nick Edwards. I don't think we're gonna see him anymore.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't think, think so. Really.
0: I I I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm, I've not been a fan of his play I as mean, an individual, you know, he could be the greatest guy in the world, not been a fan of his play. I don't think we're going to see him anymore. And I still think we're going to see major changes within the team. Uh, Martin Iosefo being kind of a, a, an interesting addition. He's not a crossover guy, but he's, he's Mike Friday looking for an athlete who can play some rugby, can, do some of the things he wants his team to do. I don't know if we're going to see any anybody come from another sport, though.
1: Yeah, I, I think at this point it's too late in the game for someone to come from another sport. I mean, Carlin, really, his education started so far out from the Olympics that um, he was able to – I mean, it's, he's now in his third season. So he's had a lot of time and put in a lot of effort, and he was a special occasion. You look at all the guys that got placed uh, with Aspen – right? You're talking Leonard Peters. You're talking James Aldridge. You're talking some running back from Bethune cookman who I can't remember. And there was <laughs> several guys between Andy Katoa and Al Caravelli that got placed as crossovers, you know, Tommy Saunders, all these names, really the only one that's ever been resoundingly successful is Carl Isles. He's the exception to the rule. And Oh, by the way, he was the 36th fastest man in the United States, um, which is a better credential than any of these other crossover guys have ever had. Uh, so he's the exception to the rule, and Perry has been playing rugby for years and years and years.
0: Oh yeah, Perry. Perry is more of that that rugby kid who also played football and then went and play, ran track and played football, and then he's back playing rugby. So he was, he's doing both. So uh, 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 people kind of talk about him being like a football player. I, I would say he was. He, he, you're right. I mean, he was in. I watched him play at Nationals for Daytona in 2006, so it's not like he's new.
2: He's an ass kicker, too. Yeah. He's a, he's a tough <laughs> guy.
0: Well, you know, he, he takes care of business when there's a pitch invasion, that's for sure. Well, and
1: it, I go back to, uh, gosh, I can't remember the game. I, like Curtis from the Colts. <laughs> I can't remember the game to save the life of me because was, they was all good. end up blurring together, especially when you're Whoa. watching 2 and 3 and 5 a.m. like we do. Um, but there was one where he came up and made a play defensively. He broke the defensive line cause he knew he had to break it. He got up and he screwed up a pass and that ended up saving a try. Um, but defensively, the guy will stick his nose in. He doesn't have to learn how to tackle. He already knows how, but two of the things that, um, one is, I don't think they just took a little bit of a step forward. I think they took a massive step forward in in Port Elizabeth. I think that the way that, I mean, they had two bad halves, two really bad halves against South Africa and New Zealand. The first halves of those games were really good, um, really competitive. So you take those two bad halves away, and then you look at the way they beat everybody else. They didn't just beat Scotland. They beat them by multiple tries. They didn't just beat Wales. They beat them pretty well. Fiji, the fact that they were able to make as many glaring mistakes against Fiji and still win says something. When you can start beating teams with a margin of error – that used to not even be able to come close to, I think that means that you're actually, there's some closure in the gap. And so I, I thought they took big steps forward and uh, and the defense was a big sign of that and that uh, this wasn't a blip on the screen because occasionally you'd see, you know, oh, they back into the cup quarters and then they get a good draw. That, that wasn't what this was in my mind. In my mind, they actually played significantly better and you could see the improvement from one tournament to the next. The other thing was Martin Doceffo, that kid's got a bright future. And it's almost unfortunate that he's in the situation he is because he's at the University of Montana. Not saying anything against the University of Montana, but uh, he's not even at, like, say, you know, where Madison is, where he's at Dartmouth, but that's a pretty high level, you know, college rugby program. Or Chris Tarori, who's at University of San Diego, but, you know, even if there wasn't the OTC there, he could train with Back and these other programs and be better. Martin Yusefo's gotta be the only guy at the University of Montana doing any kind of rugby training that's anywhere near what it needs to be. Imagine what he could do when he's in a semi high performance environment or a actual high performance environment and he's doing fitness like other internationals are doing fitness and he's uh, no
0: almost no fitness. one to play. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I I I think it was a good step forward too. Um there are a couple of th- things that I thought were interesting what they have also they 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 learn to use each other a little bit more right they they learn to um uh trust each other a little bit more i i saw a little bit of the the when the canadians play well i saw a little bit of that with with the usa which is when there's a gap up the middle when there's a tight gap um a turnover and let's go forward go forward go forward we saw a couple of tries scored where it was just like quick offload quick offload very very vertical and um Two of the examples that I looked at, one was um, Hughes to Niua, and one was Niua to Hughes. But either way, I really enjoyed seeing that because I thought it was it was sort of a, a, an, another um, another tool in their toolbox. Um,
1: they are one forward, in my
0: opinion. Away, I mean, yeah, if Brett Thompson
1: or Blaine Scully was on this team, and you could pair them up with um, uh, Duratalo or uh, uh, or Danny Barrett. Oh my god! I mean, because Binder's a good player, and Duratolo is very good in the role that he plays. But he, they're not every game kind of starting always, you know, top line forwards. If you had Danny Barrett standing next to a Brett Thompson or a Blaine Scully, or even a Threaten Palamo or something along those lines, or at Colin Holly when he was really in his top form. God, they'd be great. Yeah. So you, I'm i sure I, talk more about that.
0: I, I want to talk a little bit more about Zach Tess in a minute, but but one of the other things is about closing out games. And they closed out the game against Wales. I loved how that happened because they were winning the game, but not by a lot. And then suddenly it was like, try, try, try. I mean, Barrett scoring, you know, catching the ball on, on the fly on the kickoff and just going in. I think that was against Wales. Just Just put the game away completely. And so much so that they – they kind of took points difference out of the equation in terms of, you know, we are, we're 2-1, now we have got to wait for Wales against uh, South Africa, and what if Wales beat South Africa? It wouldn't have even mattered, actually. They took it out of the equation. But the other, th- the other thing about closing out games, and you really got to uh, be careful about that sort of thing, points dif- difference does matter in these tournaments. And when you're 33 nothing up against Kenya, you can't give away a soft try. And I think one of the things about the great teams is that they destroy a beaten opponent. They destroy a beaten opponent. And and I would have liked to... Those are the things that you learn as you just play a little bit better together, as you start to ask more of yourself and become a little bit more ruthless. I would have liked them... To have finished 33 nothing against Kenya and just put them away, and and in even against Scotland, and I realized it, was, it it didn't matter. It was a knockout game, so you win, you win. But they they let in a try at the end of the game, so it ended up 26 19. Why why did you do that? Well, you're tired. It's a long day, all that stuff. But the great teams don't do that. Yeah. Um, Zach test. So everyone loves Zach Test. Zach Test uh, made makes all tournament teams. Zach Test has scored 111 billion tries for the USA. I think it's 107, um, which is far and away the most. It's great, and Zach has been, um, I, I think, a great servant to the U.S. Sevens team because he's been there through all these coaches and through all this stuff. He's continued to play at a pretty high level. Now. He got a little bit of uh, criticism from Mike Friday before he got injured in Dubai because he wasn't passing enough. He wasn't trusting his players. He was trying to do too much, and 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 it's so funny because even the very best guys, the the, the TV announcers, things like that, keep talking. Oh, you know, Zach Testy's playing great because he's scoring a lot of tries, and we know that scoring tries isn't the whole thing about rugby, right? So. I know that Friday gave Test a talking to, which is essentially was, "Don't forget, you got six other guys on your team." Well, two things happened in Port Elizabeth, as far as I was concerned. Number one, Test returned and they won. That's number one, the, the first thing. And I, and I think his returning to play f- with them uh, after missing the second day in Dubai would really help them. But the other thing is, I don't. I don't know how many tries he scored. He may have scored one the entire weekend. And people didn't really mention his name quite the same way. Why? Because he was playing much more of a team game. He played some great defense. He made poaches. He made tackles. He passed the ball. He made breaks and offloaded. He worked with everybody. And it's such a funny thing about the game is that I, I bet you if you ask some people, they might say, hey oh, he had a quite a kind of a quiet tournament. I'm perfectly okay with Zach Test having a quiet tournament if they do that. Go for
1: it, too. 100% agree. I mean, Test is, without a doubt, by far the best player on the team. And he has been a great servant. He's been through it thick and thin. And I don't know if he's had – I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of opportunities he's had overseas. Personally, I was shocked that when he played at the ARC, the way that he played, that he didn't get picked because he's better than some of the guys that went on that November tour without a
0: doubt in my mind. Why do you if, think he didn't get picked?
1: Well, it had to be because of his – the only thing that makes sense is because the seventh team, he's too valuable the seventh There you
0: team. go. It yeah. has to be yeah. the only – Yeah, it was like uh, test, test stays in San Diego in Chula Vista and Barrett can go. Right. It was pretty much – So
1: it. if that's the case, I'm fine with it, whatever. But the thing that has been – amazing for test is what we've, the sevens is needed more. And frankly, USA rugby is needed more of is guys that are willing to commit to sevens and say, no matter what I'm with it until we don't qualify for the Olympics. And I, this is, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not going to blame anybody who goes and chases a professional career. I mean, Blaine's school, he's got a, he's got a great budding young career over there, but for as, just for, Selfishly speaking, for American rugby, for USA rugby, for the advancement of it, it would have been better for the advancement of American rugby if a guy like Brett Thompson or Blaine Scully was standing right next to Zach Test all these years saying, I'm with you, and we're going to do sevens the whole way. So I have a great deal of respect for Zach in that and that and just his resilience and what he's been through. And, yes, he does need to give the ball up a little bit more because he's got great weapons. And uh, by using them, by the way, all it's going to do is create more holes for himself. Um, and, and in my perfect scenario, Zach is enabled to be in the pack and be a hooker again because Maka Nufay is confident in himself because Maka is a game changer. And if he can play regularly starting at center, which the only thing that's stopping him from doing that is himself, his own self-confidence, uh, and Zach can play in the pack, and then, like I said, you can bring one of these other forwards, or you get another forward back, or Yusefo develops into that forward, which he can, uh, then this team is a team that, you know, just might beat South Africa twice in a tournament like they did two years ago.
2: Wow, I should start oh, singing. Why wow. birds suddenly <laughs> <cutting laughs> <near. laughs> Every time, Maka's near. Um... Yeah, I mean, the the thing in in some of the tournaments, if you look at Test stats, he doesn't have but one one pass in the tournament. So I think that's you know that that's something that had to change. And because uh, if if you're if you're not moving the ball, and, and and there are players on the team who don't necessarily move the ball that often, then you you kind of have a black hole. And it's very difficult because the defenses don't have to respect anything; they just come up and tee off on you. So, I think that they—that's a once you start playing team rugby in in any in any capacity, that's that's when teams are good. You have to be able to, you know, you got you got to trust everybody and, and trust yourself to be able to play that way. I think the USA really needs. The thing they need is if they have the speed out wide and they have weapons that they want to use, they need playmakers. And that's, that's where the playmakers need to be better. And, and when they are, they'll play better.
0: They certainly do. and we need, So we need playmakers, of both the 15s and the 7s team. And, you know, guys, and we learned this, we saw this in Port Elizabeth, sometimes the best move you can make is to catch it and pass it to the next guy. And, uh, and when we saw that happen a few times, Carla Niles, who looks terrific, by the way, it looks like he's bulked up a little bit and is playing some really nice uh, rugby off the ball. Uh, you do that, a little bit quick hands, suddenly he's got room and he scores. Two um, of the most
1: amazing plays, and I'll add this because I know you're trying to yeah, close out.
0: Yeah.
1: We're the one that the try scored against New Zealand in, in – uh, South Africa, where he just ran over a guy who completely was not yeah. expecting it.
0: Yeah, that was terrific. Right? I love that.
1: That guy turned around and made a huge stick on the next American possession. I think it was on <laughs> Niuba, and really drove him back. No, it was on Barrett. It was on Barrett. He got low, or a Bender, I'm sorry. It was on Bender. He got low and just drove him back. So this is a guy you can tackle. He obviously, he would come in all black without being able to tackle, and he just ran him over. And then <laughs> the play he made against Kenya at the very beginning of the game in Dubai, when two giant long-legged Kenyans were draped all over him and somehow he stayed on his feet and crawled between their legs and ran for a try. I mean, those, those two plays were just
0: insane. And he's still the only guy who's allowed to run sideways for 20 meters. And cause he's the only one who gets away with it.
1: Yeah. He'll see the gap and three defenders between him and the gap and still get to the gap. Like,
0: no problem. No problem at all. Amazing. Uh, so That'll do it for our show. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting fall for the the men's national teams, and and still the pressures on World Cup, Olympic qualifying, uh, Olympic money at stake, a lot at stake in 2015. Um, we'll be here to look at it and. Talk about it. Don't forget to check out uh, what we say about the uh, national teams on Golf Rugby Report, and Pat Clifton, as always, is writing about it on Rugby Today, and Bruce McLean can be uh,
2: found on Facebook.
0: Bruce, you're not really on Twitter, are you?
2: I actually have a Twitter account, but I don't do much. I don't know that I've ever tweeted. I think I retweeted something once. You,
0: You, I just thought I just think that would be just perfect for you.
1: His picture is still an egg. His profile picture.
0: Really? Uh, you see, that's a, that's always a bad uh, bad sign, right there. Is your picture still an egg? I just think that Twitter would be perfect for you, if if um, as long as you could keep it clean. Well, maybe then that can't happen. We Twitter's best
2: care.
1: when you can't keep it. When you
2: don't keep it clean. Yeah, that's true. That's I've true. heard I've heard that Twitter I would be it. great for me. the fact is, I, I get.
0: Actually, actually, you know what? I'm going to change that. You would be great for Twitter.
2: I don't think that uh, exactly right. I'm, I'm not. I know that it seems like I'm active on Facebook. I, I kind of, yeah, I, I yeah.
1: Or just whoever you hang out with to take it upon themselves, maybe two or three people, to start a fake Bruce McLean account and just quote you.
0: And well, sometimes oh, not make Bruce. Yeah. That's, well, that's that's, uh, that's, a, that's what that's we an need. An idea whose time is there would,
2: would probably be a. Uh, yeah, they, they, they yeah, yeah no. Nah, nah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be letting Connor Coyne or Brian Doyle or, or yeah, or you Pat know what, or, we're gonna, or, we're any gonna... Those, or any of those guys, Petri or anybody, Troy Hall or whoever the hell is Stanfill or any of those people, they're not gonna be allowed to be using. Quoting stuff in my name—they <laughs> can—they can do a lot of damage.
0: We'll—we'll <laughs> we'll be vet—we'll be vetting applicants. Send a self-addressed, uh, stamped uh, postcard uh, to Rugger Matrix America, and we'll see who uh, gets that audition. Um, and whether you send that postcard, please don't—or uh, not. We are very appreciative. Ap- we are very appreciative that you are listening to us here on Rugger Matrix America.